Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, James Proton. Every week I will be sharing the experiences that have defined my journey and talking with people who have their own powerful story to tell. It's about doing better and being better in life, business, and all things in between. The Visually Inclined can catch us on YouTube, or you can check us out on just about every podcast platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have a very special guest here today for you, uh, my dear friend and and co-writer, co-author of, of, of our new book, Olivia Behanna. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited. I am too. I'm really happy to have you here. I'm this is here. Yeah, it's exciting. It is very exciting. So a little bit of background for our audience. You're your local kid from Monongahela, mm-hmm. grew up, born and raised. Yeah. Right? Bringles High School. Yep. And then you um you went a little bit of a different path. Talk about that a little bit for us. But you know, you are you you're a funeral director. I am. You don't look like a funeral director. Oh, so you know, I mean, it's thank like, you. I just neither does your mom, and that's the cool thing. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do my whole life. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you don't you want to be like a princess or like a superhero or whatever. And I really didn't know when I went to high school, I, um, I loved my Spanish class. I loved my Spanish teacher. I wanted to be a Spanish teacher. Um, and so I went to college and campus life really wasn't for me. Um, didn't really know what to do. I'd call my mom. I'd be crying. I'm like, mom, like, I can't do this. I don't know, you know, what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then one day it kind of just hit me that I've grown up in the funeral industry, you know, my, the earliest memories of my mother are in her lab coat. So it was like, I've grown up here. It was my first job. You know, all my friends worked at like Subway, yeah. or like Dairy Queen. And I worked the door for visitations. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I know the job. It doesn't bother me because being around dead people bothers a lot of people. It, it's, it's not un- normal. It's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Sure. So um, I just figured... I don't want to use the term no-brainer, but, like, that's what it was. It made sense. It yeah, clicked. it made sense for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I've done this my whole life. Why not just keep doing it? I was comfortable there. I knew the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. I was used to it. So that's what I decided to do. So I went to two years of college. I got a degree in business. And then I started at PIMS, the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science. Okay. So did that for a year. I did their accelerated program because I didn't want to be in college my whole life. That <laughs> okay. was, But I'm still finishing my bachelor's right now so I still am in college but didn't want to do that so got through mortuary school in a year and I got my license last March so yeah good for you yeah it's definitely been interesting um that's very cool because you know it's it's not unusual for somebody to go into a family business you know your mother has been the funeral director and it's like the second generation female that you know, doing this, it's, it, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think what is really shocking to people that is that now the funeral industry is dominated by women. So statistically, there are more women becoming funeral directors than men. Back in the day, like all men, oh, like it yes, was all Absolutely. Men. Yep. You didn't even think about. Very male dominated field. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And you didn't even think about becoming a funeral director if you didn't have family in the industry. Uh-huh. It wasn't an outsider thing. People didn't come to do that. But now it's so many first generation and so many women. I think there were like a handful, like less than five guys in my 
graduating class at mortuary school. What? The rest were women. And um, I was the only one in my graduating class who had immediate family ties to the business. So statistically, everything has been flip-flopped. Yeah. So this is becoming the norm. That's a paradigm shift. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And I think that, not to sound like off about it, but women are more like they do better in a business where they are more caring and understanding. And, you know, it's not sure. so much how it used to be. Like people think that being a funeral director is just working with dead people. Mm -hmm. But all you do most of the time is work with the living. Right. The biggest part of that job to me would be the families, working yeah, with the family. Absolutely. Right. And so it's so important that, you know, you're with somebody that you're comfortable with when you want to go to a funeral director that you know is going to take care of you and is going to be understanding and is there not to be a businessman, but to be like a friend and someone who takes care of you and knows how to do that. And I think that women do have like a knack for that. I think so, because, I mean, you, you really have to provide comfort. Yeah. You know, you're 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 seeing people at the at their basically birth. the worst moment of their life. Right. You know, losing a loved yeah. one. And, and, you know, that's a very emotional, impactful thing. And you for to be able to navigate that um, and, and, and comfort that, that that's that's not an easy thing to do. It's not. But it's it's such a beautiful thing to be able to do that for other people. And it's it was really like different to me to be in mortuary school with people who didn't want to go into this um, mm -hmm. because of family, because they wanted to help people. A lot of people now are interested in the embalming, mm -hmm. in cosmetics, in taking care of like a dead body. And and that to me, like I'm not in this because I think dead people are cool, <laughs> you know? And I hate to use those words, but- No, but it's, it's, it's the truth. That's, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When they ask you in mortuary school, like what makes you want to do this? Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, oh, like I think it's so interesting. And then they don't realize what goes into it. Yeah. You know, it's so cool and it's so different and it's exciting, but they don't understand, you know, that this isn't a job. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's your life. And I sat there and I went back and I was like, you know, my family has been tied to this business almost for like generations. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't just my mom. My mom is a funeral director, but my nun knew my grandfather, her dad worked in funeral homes. Mm -hmm. I mean, my grandparents met in a funeral. <laughs> so... And then my great grandfather helped build tombstones. So like, yeah, we go we go back. It is it really is a family business. It is, and it's mm -hmm. such a legacy that like is important to me to carry on. Sure. And I always said like, after my mom, if it wasn't me, who is it? Mm -hmm. And our funeral home has been around since 1917. It's the second oldest continuous business in Monongahela. I didn't want that to fall into the wrong hands. Good for you. So it's, I love our town. I love our legacy. I love the history of it. So it's important for me to want to be there to keep it alive. That's, I, I love that. And, and that takes us into, a, you know, my next question, because, you know, funeral homes are such an important piece, thread of the fabric of, of any community, mm -hmm. you know, and families get tied, you know, generationally to funeral homes, you know, so it's a, it's a huge part of the community and you are really involved in the community. You, you, you could tell just by on your social media and things, how, how important Monongahela is to you. Mm -hmm. And you, you write a blog, little I city, do. big life, which yeah. I love. It's a great Thank blog. You. I, um, how did, how did that start? So in mortuary school, I graduated and 
I had won an award. I think it was an entrepreneurial award. And so that was for the person that you thought was going to make the biggest impact in the funeral industry, like after graduation. And the biggest thing to me, especially growing up in this industry, is people don't know what really goes on. It's not a very transparent industry whatsoever. People have questions. They come in. They have assumptions. People think crazy things happen in a funeral home. I believe that. And that's not how it goes. You know, you see headlines, you see the news and stuff. And I'm like, but that is so rare that things like that happen, you know? And so I wanted primarily to make the blog to educate people Mm -hmm. about what happens, you know, behind the scenes, things that they might not think of, answer their questions. But also, I have such a big life. So I come from, you know, this small town of Monongahela, an amazing little town that does a lot. But, you know... I've been through a lot as as a person. I'm 23, but, you know, I've survived cancer. I had my license at 22. You know, I do all these things, and my brain is always like, have you ever seen the meme that's like, you have 22 tabs open and you can't figure out where the music <laughs> is coming from? I was like, that's me. You yeah. know, I have so much to share, and I wanted somewhere, like, one collective place that people mm-hmm. could read my thoughts, learn about me, learn about what I do. And I thought that was important. And it was it's a creative outlet for me because, you know, I deal every day with, like, grieving families and, you know, hard situations. And this was, like, mm. my little getaway. You've come to this point, and you, you mentioned surviving cancer. You didn't have the blessing of what would be considered a normal childhood. You were diagnosed very young. Yeah. So at four, I was diagnosed with, it's called a Wilms tumor or a nephroblastoma. Um, so... I'll give you the spark notes version of it. Um, So um, my family, my dad was giving me a bath as a child and he felt that my stomach was really hard. And so concerned parents take me to the doctor. They rush me to children's the next day, um, find out that the hardness in my abdomen was a stage four tumor the size of a softball. Oh my goodness. And when you're that little, like you don't realize how big that is. Like I never thought about like that's huge. In a four-year-old, yeah, absolutely. Kid that young. So, you know, they were like, she has cancer. We're gonna figure it out. And it it was a lot. And so I um I had surgery. They did a biopsy. They took the tumor out, but I also had to have chemotherapy and radiation, mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that everything was okay. It had metastasized to my lungs and my lymph nodes. So it was a big deal. So it was quite a journey for you to get from there to here. Yeah. It was definitely a different childhood than most because, you know, kids, they're at home, they're playing in the yard, they're playing with their Barbies. Like I didn't have that. I was in the hospital all the time. I was in the hospital all the time. I was so used to going there. I hated it, but children's hospital, amazing. So I spent a lot of time in the hospital, in and out, appointments, here, there. I lost most of my hair. Not all of it. I had a couple little stragglers, but most (laughs) of it, you know. So I wasn't your average kid. And my family, you know, went through so much that I didn't really understand until I got older. So I had found an article that was written about me um, when I was diagnosed. And the first thing they say is, it was a quote from Amara, my little sister. Yeah. She's three years old at this point, and she's saying every night before we go to bed, we ask the angels to make Olivia's belly better. Oh, my goodness. And, like, the first time I read that, I just cried because mm-hmm. 
I didn't understand how difficult- The impact on her. Right, how difficult this was for my family, for my community, for everyone. They had Mm -hmm. fundraisers for me, um, all kinds of things. Like, and looking back, like, I love my community even more. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for everything that they did. But getting older, my cancer had so many different impacts on me that like you wouldn't really think about. So it like stunted some growth in my body. So I have a hard time finding clothes that fit me. And so growing up, you know, going through puberty with other girls who are developing differently than me, that was hard for me. Yeah. You know, and I never thought really much about it, but I couldn't help it. Yeah. And then it's, you know, going through high school and peer pressure or, you know, people vaping and stuff. And they're like, Olivia, like, do you, do you? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, why not? And I'm like, well, because I had cancer. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And so a lot of things that normal kids do and is normal to teenagers and young adults, like I couldn't do. So I was always kind of like an outcast. I couldn't play sports, everything. You know, if I got hit in the stomach the wrong way, like it could be really bad. Yeah. And so I was always the catcher. So my life, you know, growing up was so different than uh-huh. normal. And now it's like I'm part of the survivorship clinic, which means that they are still studying the long-term effects that my treatments had on me okay. in the hospital. So I go once a year and they do all kinds of tests. Um, but I also like to share my story mm-hmm. and tell people about it because they say like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And for me, like, cancer did that mm-hmm. and so I've spoken at Relay for Lives I've spoken at a few different churches and just told people about my story and when you're young you don't realize the impact that you have on other people right so as I got older I started to realize you know everything I do impacts people mm-hmm. and everyone knows my story yeah. everyone remembers me as like oh, I, you were the one who was sick I'm like Yep, that's me. And so for a while, it was kind of like, yeah, I was the one who was sick. So when you were, when you, Uh when you, when you finally were in remission and you were cancer, Uh were you, at some point, did you normalize that childhood, that growing up for yourself in your mind? Um, Or did you always feel like, like an, an outsider, like different? Yeah, I always did. You know, I have a giant scar on my stomach. So that was noticeable to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it was even in middle school. Like we'd go to gym class and I had to be the catcher. So it was like things that normal people wouldn't think about was something I went through. And it was always, you know, I was always the sick kid. You know, I remember you when you were sick. So it was definitely different. And I think as I got older, I realized that I needed to change the way that I thought about it from being like such a bad thing to something that I can use to help other people. Right. So, you know, the impact I didn't know I had when I was younger, I know I have now. So I want to use that in the best way that I can. Speaking of that impact, you had at the time, and and we had a conversation much later, you didn't know the impact you had on my life. Right. Right. So talk about dance because that's where I met you. And that's been many years ago now. You know, that's probably probably, 10 years. Probably 10 years. Um, I didn't want to go to that recital. I was in a very, very bad place. I was not, I had a lot going on. 
And the last thing I wanted to do was go was sit through a recital. Or recital. Right. But Terry, Terry Lynn convinced me that, you know, I, you know, Emma needs to blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know, do the grandpa thing. And I was there. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know anything about what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the audience feeling sorry for myself. I had a million things. I wasn't paying attention to anything. I couldn't tell you. I could not tell you anything that happened that night except for you. And so talk about what you did that night and what that meant. Yeah. So I've danced my whole life. Mm-hmm. And every year I did a solo. And like after eighth grade, say, it was like I did a solo every year. And that was a big thing was mm-hmm. to figure out what your solo was going to sure. be. And sure. so I had um, talked a lot to our one dance teacher who was there, Sarah, and we came up with the idea for me to do a dance that was going to be impactful and inspirational because that's a big thing in dance. That's kind of mm-hmm. what you want to do is tell a story. Sure. And so I decided to dance to I'm Gonna Love You Through It by Martina McBride. Mm-hmm. And we were like, this is going to be great. This, the song itself was like four minutes. It was going to be a long thing. Yeah. And so we decided before that it would make sense to kind of record a little speech and say like this is why i'm doing what i'm doing and you know when i was younger and i was diagnosed i was still in dance i was still with bonnie Mm -hmm. i couldn't do the recital because i was sick because you were sick right so to do that kind of dance after everything that's happened and be like here i am like i'm i got through it i made it here i am so we did the costume it was like a beige costume and I had a, a huge purple cancer ribbon because that was my color uh-huh. um, on the front and I stood with my back to the audience um, for a few minutes while my recorded speech played and then I danced. That was the first and I think only time I've ever gotten a standing ovation for anything. So to watch that back is kind of cool. But Oh, I'm sure because yeah. it, it, it was powerful. You, you I cried. I literally cried, and 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 I don't I don't think I I don't think I was the only one, and you know, when when I sat there and listened to your speech and watched you, the it just you, you just went straight to here. And at that point, you and I had never met. No, me I, I I knew your mom and dad. Right. You know, Terry Lynn and I are friends with your mm-hmm. parents, and I knew you know that you were their their daughter, but I we had never talked no. or met at that point, and. Uh, you know, everything that was going on in my life came full circle to me in that moment because of you. And I, I said to myself, my goodness, if this child could do this, can go through what she's gone through and stand up there and dance and do that, the strength that that took. Said, yeah. I, I, I actually was a little embarrassed that I was feeling sorry for myself for what I was going through, but... You had such a, and, and I, I talked to your mom mm-hmm. in it afterwards and I said, yeah. asked if because I didn't want to just come up and talk to you because right. you didn't know who I was, right? No. So she said, right. your mom, I told her and she kind of giggled a little bit, you know, that I even asked and she introduced us mm-hmm. and, and we've been connected ever since. Right. But that moment, what you did, the dance and all of that, and I know how much it meant to you, but I don't, you didn't know had any clue how much it meant to me, you know, and you are a big reason why I am, have become who I am today and why I wrote the book and all of the things in which, why, to me, it was a no brainer to ask you to write the foreword, you know, and 
So you graciously agreed to do it. Yes. And uh, you were nervous. I was. And <laughs> so you wrote it and you and you sent it and I read it and I cried again. I mean, it was like, yeah. I said to Terry Lynn, I said, this is beautiful and I'm a little nervous because it's probably better than the book. It's <laughs> not <laughs> so, but so, so we, we wrote this book together and, and, and I've told you that to me, the, the, this is our book, mm-hmm. right? It's our, it's not mine. And you wrote a forward, Olivia wrote for, no, this is Jamie and Olivia's book. And we're going to celebrate this and launch it together mm-hmm. because, um, you and I will forever have a connection, right? you know, and, yeah. and it's, and it's such a cool thing. And I talk a lot about how God puts people in your life when you need them yeah. there, you know, there's a reason. And sadly, so many people are closed up, you know, when they, when they experience adversity and they don't, and they miss that angel. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm just very happy. I didn't miss you because you have added a layer to my life, something in my life that I would not have had otherwise. And I, I will love you forever. Well, you and I'm so happy that, that you, uh, you came on and talked to us and, when we, um, the book is going to come out for pre-order at least on February 21st, mm-hmm. and then we're going to do like physical launches into March. So, yeah. and you and I are going to do it together. Yeah, it's been great. So it's going to be love fun. it. I wouldn't have been able to write if it wasn't for you. So I thank you very much. And for this that. is the first step to you writing your book. Yes. Because you have you have a beautiful story. To thank tell. you. You you're very familiar with the live, love, learn, pray, and inspire. Mm-hmm. And um, share with us what one of those pillars, we call them the five pillars, what one of those pillars jumps out at you and resonates with you and touches you in your heart and why? I feel like the inspire one does, um, especially because, you know, you don't realize the impact that you have on other people. And you could touch someone's life and not even realize it. Right. And it's such a special thing. And like I, after everything I've been through, I'm so much more aware of that. Mm-hmm. And there have been days where, you know, it's a hard day. It's a yeah. really hard day. And, you know, you think and you're like, I had cancer. Why didn't God just take me? You know, why am I still here? But then you have a really good day mm-hmm. and you're like, you know what? Thank you, God, so much for allowing me to live and allowing me to be here. So what can I do with that? And so to move forward, like to inspire others, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be a big gesture. Just to be the person that you are can inspire people. Me being a woman in business can inspire people. Me being a a cancer survivor. Me just being a friend to someone can inspire someone. Right. So it's so important to look at the positives in things because I started with, like you said, a really ugly, awful story, mm-hmm. but I've turned it into something that allowed me to be who I am. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I thank God for allowing me to be here so I can share that with everyone. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Okay. I'm so happy. I'm looking forward to the next couple of months. It's going to be fun. 